Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, everyone. Welcome back to Quran 30 for 30. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Before we get started, inshallah, just to remind everyone uh, to please make use of the resources with the night ta'ala at yaqeeninstitute.org. If you haven't downloaded the ebook just yet, then make sure that you do, inshallah. Also, Shaykh Tahir Hafidahullah's du'a workbook, Dr. Tasneem's uh, workbook on habits, Shaykh Abdullah Oduro's workbook on, uh, on, on convert resources, everything that he has there. Alhamdulillah, it's a lot to benefit from. So please do benefit from it all, inshallah ta'ala. And also uh, a request to please donate to Yaqeen, inshallah ta'ala, amongst the many worthy efforts with the night that are out there this Ramadan. Of course, everything that we do is free and accessible to the community. And inshallah ta'ala, we will be keeping it that way. Alhamdulillah, we're blessed today to have a first-time guest, Imam Tom Fakini. Uh, alhamdulillah, I got that right, right? Nailed it. Alhamdulillah, I uh, Imam Tom, inshallah, is actually authoring a paper for us now, uh, alhamdulillah, uh, under Dr. Thahir, I guess, on something perennialism, uh, why all religions can't be true. Very interesting uh, subject. Uh, you converted to Islam, you embraced Islam, Sheikh, in 2011, right? Yeah, 2010. 2010, mashallah. Yeah. Mashallah, officially, officially. You want to tell us about that really quick? Uh, really quick? Um, so... <laughs> It's no big deal. Keep us on Tian. Keep, keep. Well, there was a there was a one moment when it all happened. No, uh, actually, it was a very long process, which is why I kind of tease about you know my conversion date. I took my shahada in 2010. Um, I went to college and I had a Moroccan professor who was a Muslima, and I took a lot of courses with this individual. And when I first met her, she wasn't very practicing. But over the four years of us being at the same institution, she became practicing. And um, I, through her, met a local imam, and I was able to ask different questions and sort of explore this more for myself. And the big thing, and here's the quotable uh, passage, is that for me, Islam had a guidance for every single situation that a human being would need. And I hadn't found that in any other system that I tried to explore before. Some systems, they'd have stuff for your personal growth, but they wouldn't have anything about society. Other systems would have things for society, but nothing about you as an individual. When I kind of started dabbling in Islam, I was floored by how specific and how comprehensive it was. And that was the beginning of a long process of learning and even experimenting with, with worship, fasting, prayer. And then eventually in 2010, I, I took my shahada. Alhamdulillah. And you went to Medina uh, after Sheikh Abdullah had already left. Sheikh Abdullah, you're getting old. That's what we're trying to say. You yeah. were already out of there. That's Shots that's. Fire. Pow, pow, pow. Yeah. Allah. <laughs> and uh, Imam Tom, I'm sorry. I have to ask you this because I was reading the bio. You used to be the Imam at Muslim Community Association of Mohawk Valley. Still am. Yes. Still am. That's enough. That's that's pretty awesome. Did you ever yeah, cut really? hair on the side? Sorry, I'm sorry. Did you ever cut hair on the side? See, that's a, a dad joke. That's kind of my thing now. <laughs> I, I my, slap your knee, Tom. Slap your knee. <laughs> I mean, all joking aside, I have cut my own hair for probably about fifteen years. So yes, you know. So you're not required to have a mohawk to be the imam. Masjid. No, no. Though, who knows? I mean, with Political changes, anything's possible. Sheikh <laughs> <laughs> Abdullah, admit it, that was good. It was natural. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get better at this. 
I have to I'll support everybody good. watching. It was not good. <laughs> <laughs> Alhamdulillah. So we're, we're really happy to have you, Sheikh. Honestly, uh, really happy to have you. I've heard wonderful things about you through Sheikh Tahar and, and those that, that know you, Alhamdulillah, and, and people in your community, mashallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect you and preserve you. And we're looking forward to seeing your paper and also hearing uh, your your uh, your comments today with the night time. So inshallah ta'ala, we'll get started. So we're officially now in Juz 7. Alhamdulillah, uh, I mean, and subhanAllah, this is a... a Juz that first of all it is a turning point because the first time that we go from Madani to uh, Mecki uh, Quran Mecki Quran of course which is heavy on themes of the hereafter and uh, you know Tawheed and Akhirah is is very very heavy uh, you know when it comes to Mecki Quran but in Medina of course we're still in Surah Al-Ma'idah I'm going to just talk about subhanAllah what a merger is and it's really profound because when you think about you know, Medina, where it's talking about the community and things that are very obvious to people that are in front of them, the laws that they're practicing and the potential consequences if they don't practice those laws properly and so many things. It's really mainly focused on the things that they are being commanded to do here and the consequences that they don't yet see. But it's, you know, in this surah, you see this turn uh, towards a very vivid scene in the hereafter. And it's where the prophets are being asked, what response were you given from the people? So the prophets themselves, the messengers themselves are being asked. So it's like a merger of the Rusul, the messengers, and the Akhirah, the hereafter, which becomes extremely prominent uh, in the next surah and the Mecki uh, features of the Qur'an. So you go to verse 109. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَوْمَ يَجْمَعُ اللَّهُ الرُّسُلُ فَيَقُولُ مَاذَا أُجِبْتُمْ Allah gathers all of the messengers and Allah says to the messengers, how were you responded to? Now every prophet and messenger had an experience, right? And they could talk about how they were responded to while they were still alive. And of course, some of them had experiences, you know, of, of turmoil and, uh, you know, passed away with complete rejection from their people. Some of them uh, you know, had rejection for many years and then acceptance at some point from a small group. Some were accepted by the majority of their people. But obviously, once they passed away, uh, they don't know what happened after they left this earth, right? And of course, subhanAllah, the Prophet told us on the Day of Judgment, you have prophets that are standing and it's a scene, right? Some messengers and prophets that have uh, hundreds of people behind them, some thousands, some millions, and some prophets and messengers with one or two people, and some with no followers whatsoever. So Allah gathers them all together. الرسل, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Mada ujibitum, how were you responded to? Now they respond, We don't know because you are the knower of the unseen. And some of the scholars say that this is a a uh, you know a humble uh, way of, of saying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, we, we don't know the full answer because it could be that some of those that responded did not respond in, in truth. It could be that some left the faith after we left this earth. We don't know. But truly, oh Allah, you are the one that knows the unseen. And the ulama say double meaning here, which is very beautiful. You know the unseen as in the hearts of those who professed faith while we were alive. And you know the unseen in terms of that which happened after we left this earth. Now, the Prophet ﷺ was spoken to in the previous surah, in Surah An-Nisa, 
And it was one of the hardest ayat for the Prophet to read. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, how will it be when we bring every nation forward and we bring the Prophet as a witness on that nation and we bring you, O Muhammad sallam, as a witness upon all of those nations. And this caused the Prophet sallam, you know, deep pain. It brought him to a place of great humility. He would weep sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he read or when he heard this ayah, knowing uh, his position on the Day of Judgment, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now here, Surah Al-Ma'idah, the focus is on Isa Alayhi salam, And the change is rapid. Allah is talking about Isa Alayhi salam and Isa Alayhi salam being asked by his followers to call upon Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for a table spread, for the Ma'idah. And Isa Alayhi salam makes this dua, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala responds to his supplication and the table spread comes down. And then right after that, subhanAllah, rapidly, you suddenly go to a conversation where instead of Isa alayhi salam calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for dua, it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now in verse 116 who's speaking to, who's summoning Isa alayhi salam. And if Allahu, Ya Isa ibn Maryam, a'anta qulta linnas, ittakhiduni wa ummiya ilahayni min dunillah. So after Allah mentions his favors upon Isa salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Oh Jesus, son of Mary, did you ask the people, did you command the people to take you and your mother as gods besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Qala subhanak. He says subhanak. Glory be to you. How perfect are you? You know, and, and this is the response, by the way, uh, when uh waladin subhana, surah Maryam. That and in other places in the Quran, you know, how perfect is he? Uh, glory be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that a God would be attributed to him or a, 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 a partner would be attributed to him. Islam says, It is not befitting for me to say what I had no right to say. If I was to say it, oh Allah then you would know that. You know what is inside of me. I do not know what is inside of you. You are the knower of all that is unseen. So Isa of course, is saying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, you know, of course I never said it, and you would know had I said it. You know my secrets. I don't know your secrets, O oh Allah. And of course, this is not an accusation of Isa this is not actually a grilling of Isa Islam. This is a prophet being brought forth, right? And this is when the accused is, you know, told, or, or, you know, what they've been accused of. This is when the one who has, you know, uh, been said to have given a certain testimony on earth is asked about that testimony in the hereafter. So Isa salam is saying, Subhanak, I never said that, O oh Allah. He continues to say, I never told them anything except what you ordered me to say. To worship Allah, to worship God, my Lord and your Lord. And then here's where this becomes very, very interesting. I was a witness over them as long as I remained over them. But then once you took me, O oh Allah, you were the witness over them. At that point, I could not, you know, I could not call them to anything. I couldn't control how my name was being used. I could not control the narrative of my own message at that point. 
I could not control my followers. I could not speak to them or correct these types of things once I left this earth. And you are a witness over all things of Allah. So Isa Islam saying, look, I can't control what happened after I left. After I left the earth, things have been said, things have been done. But yeah, Allah, you are the Raqib. You are the one who continues to be the controller of all things. And then Isa Islam says, If you punish them, they belong to you after all. But if you forgive them, you are surely the Almighty, the All-Wise. SubhanAllah, this ayah of Isa alayhi salam, you know, uh, invoking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that way on the Day of Judgment, you know, for, for those that uh, may have been led astray in regards to who he really is and in regards to his message and took the narrative in a way that it was not meant when he brought the message. He says this to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there's something very touching and I'll end with these two hadith with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Something very, very, very touching with the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That Abu Darda uh, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, rather it was Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said that, قَامَ نَبِيُّ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam حَتَّى أَصْبَحَ يُرَدِّدُهَا He said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa spent the entire night with this one ayah from the Qur'an, repeating it over and over and over again. And it was, إِنْتُعَذِّبْهُمْ فَإِنَّهُمْ عِبَادُكُ the same ayah that if you punish them, O Lord, they belong to you after all. But if you forgive them, then you are the Almighty, the All Wise. So the Prophet submitting himself in this regard. The Prophet who described himself in this life that I am like a man who kindled a fire and I have to stand in front of that fire and I'm trying to catch people as they're jumping in. And the Prophet deeply empathetic, deeply caring for his followers, wanting to make sure that he holds everyone in. But even the Prophet ﷺ knows that he can't do anything once he dies. This was the Messenger ﷺ who in Uhud said, Oh Allah, forgive my people, they don't know any better. And this is the Messenger ﷺ who was pained by every single person he could not save. And so he's repeating the words of Isa ﷺ as comfort for himself. That, you know, my brother Isa ﷺ also, he did not have control over the hearts of people and over what happened to people after he left. And this last hadith, subhanAllah, where the Prophet Sallallahu describes the Day of Judgment. He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that there will come to me, Rijalim in Ummati, bihim shimal, that there are people from my Ummah that will be coming towards me on the Day of Judgment, and then suddenly they'll be taken to the left side. So I'll say, Rabbi Ashabi, Rabbi Ashabi, my Lord, these are my companions, my Lord, these are my companions. You don't know, O Messenger وسلم, what they did after you passed away. So I will say, like the righteous servant, he means Isa, Islam, the righteous servant, my righteous brother said, I'll say the exact same thing that. I was a witness over them as long as I could be amongst them. But once you took me, O oh Allah, then you are the ultimate guardian over them. So subhanAllah, this idea here of, you know, even I, the Prophet Sallallahu and, and by the way, the ulama mentioned here, and I know I've gone over time, I apologize and I'll pass it to Shaykh Abdullah momentarily. The fact that the Prophet Sallallahu will see people who lived with him and became companions in his own lifetime, and prayed janazah on him, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and then subhanallah, they went astray after he passed away. That's very painful, very painful, 
right? Imagine someone said, Ashadu annaka Rasulullah while he was alive and then went to Musaylama or one of the other false prophets after he passed away. And the Prophet sees them on the Day of Judgment and as they're coming towards him, they're taken away from him. And of course, you know, this is, a, a, you know, a, an admonishing to all of us to stay to the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu uh, even after, long after he has passed away. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala keep us firm on his way and may Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala keep us firm on the message in the way of the Messenger and keep our hearts and our feet firm upon that which is pleasing to him. Allahumma Ameen. Jazakumullah Khairan. I'll pass it over to Shaykh Abba inshaAllah. Jazakumullah Khairan. Bismillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wa la ama ba'du. Interestingly, speaking about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and how he had this empathy for his, his followers and his empathy for humanity and for the ummah alayhi salam. It's important that we as human beings, you know, when looking at the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that we try our best to learn it in order to internalize it and understand it, to practice it, which is a direct implementation of the Quran. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا أَتَكْمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوا And whatever the messenger comes to you with, then take it. وَمَا نَهَكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ And whatever he prohibits you from, uh, prohibits you from that, then you should stay away from it or to finish yourself from, you know, to, to stop doing it or to partaking in that action that differs with his sunnah. There's one thing I want to talk about in the, the chapter of Al-An'am where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the 63rd verse to the 65th verse, something that's very, very, uh, interesting about our humanity as we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about our humanity and how we are as human beings being that he is al-alim the all-knowing he knows what was what is and what will be and even the hypotheticals it's interesting here how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about a certain group of people or how he tells the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to mention something about Allah that shows us our reality as human beings but in particular addressing those that disbelieve in him and that is that of, subhanAllah, dare we say in, a, in, a, in, a, in one word, complacency. It's important for the Muslim, if they are complacent or if they are uh, in a state of sakina and ease, at times of ease, that they recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they worship him and recognize him in times of ease as well as times of hardship. Not to only resort to Allah or thinking about God or resorting to God's grace at a time of hardship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to say, قُلْ مَنْ يُنَجِّيكُمْ مِنْ ظُلُمَاتِ الْبَرِّ وَالْبَحْرِ تَدْعُونَهُ تَضَرُّعًا وَخُفْيَةً لَإِنْ أَنْجَانَ مِنْ هَذِهِ لَنَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الشَّاكِرِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to address them with the question, a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question is a question to where you know the answer, to where the people that were the disbelieving people here knew the answer to this question. And the question is as follows. Say, O Messenger, who rescues you from the darkness of the land and sea when you call upon him, imploring him uh, aloud and privately? If he should save us from this crisis, we would surely be among the thankful. So here we want to break this up. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet, which is a small sign, you know, whenever we see that is a sign that he is a prophet because Allah is telling him to say divine inspiration. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him to say, Who was the one that saves you from the darkness of the land or the sea? And some scholars mention that this darkness is general darkness or it's specified here to the darkness when you were on sea or you were in the land. And I don't know if any of you have ever been on a ship, you know, maybe a cruise or whatever the case may be, in the darkness. 
It is darkness upon darkness. You don't know what is coming to get you. There are no lights there. So when you are, you know, in a, in a ship or in the sea and you're only relying on the wind, for example, nowadays we may have something that is motor controlled, but if the motor goes out, if the ship starts to sink, you don't know what to expect. At that time is when you will call on that which you relied on. Your fitra will come out. Your natural inclination will come out. The things that you severely call on that you know naturally can save you, you're going to call on it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet Wasallam to ask him this question. Who is the one that saves you in the darkness of the land or sea? The darkness of the land, it could be many things that could be harmful to you from animals, from insects, from people, right? Any of these things can be harmful to you. So the Prophet Wasallam is asking them, what, who is going to save you from these two situations as we are either on land or on the sea? So all of the earth, who is the one that saves you from any of these, the, these situations that you may encounter? Then what happens when you are in this situation? That you would call on him. But comes from which means which means debasing yourself. You would call on Allah with total humility. You would call on your deity with total humility. How many times have we said, really meaning it, oh God, help me? Some of us, it may have been a test, you know, an actual academic test. You say, oh God, if you help me, I'm going to do this. Or, you know, you want a child or you want something. Oh God, if you give this to me, I'm going to do this. As though it is reciprocity or reciprocal. Or I owe you this if you do this for me. We see the mentality sometimes that we have when we're overpowered or we're too indulged with distractions that will call us away from who Allah ultimately is, who he really is, being that he has control over all things anyway. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet sallallahu to say, at this time, who's the one that saves you from the darkness of the land and the sea to where you will come to the degree or to the point of calling on him openly aloud or khufya, silently? Because some of us may not say it out loud, but we feel it inside. The Quran is so daqiq, it is so precise in painting the picture of your reality as a human being, whether you know it, like it, or not. Many times we, as individuals, as human beings, internally will call on that which we think will save us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet to paint the picture for them. Who's going to save you? Or who's the one that has saved you? Or who's the one that will save you in the darkness of times? Or in the darkness of the place, whether it's land or sea, to the degree to where you will call on him in open or secretly, and you will say what? Then he mentions the actual statement. If you were to save us from this, we would surely be amongst the thankful. If you were to save us from this, we would surely be amongst the thankful. And that's so interesting, subhanAllah. You know, many of us, we may have children, and we were definitely of this type especially in our teenage years. You know, when you're a teen, you know, you call your mom, you call your dad. Some of us may say, okay, what do you want? I don't want the, I don't want the parents to look at their children now, look over at them now, but definitely we've reached that age or you are of that age where when you call mom or dad, it's for something that you want. You always want something. Or it's the friend that only when they call you, they want something. So here it's, we're calling on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we need something that we know he can ultimately give us. But in times of ease, we don't call on him. 
We don't call on him. We call on other than him or something along with him at his level and degree of mercy and of right and of grace and of magnificence. And that is the essence of polytheism. That is the essence of what we call shirk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the Prophet sallam, an answer here. The Prophet was told to give this answer. If you notice, he asked the question, who saves you from the darkness of land and sea? And you call on him openly and silently to where if you were to save us, we would be of the thankful. The Prophet answers it. He doesn't wait for their answer. Allah says, Allah is the one that saves you. But what's so beautiful here is he brings it back, a step back in looking at the reality of God. He is the one that saves you from it and from every affliction, every karb, every affliction, whether you know it or not. Allah is the one that saves you from it. And that is the beauty of Islam and the beauty of Tawheed, the oneness of Allah, making Allah one in your heart, i.e. in your actions when you call on him, in your actions when you try your best to implement the framework that he has given to you, known as the Sharia, the Islamic way of life. Well, the Prophet is saying, Allah is the one that saves you anyway. Not just this call that you are asking, but in every situation. Think about how many sins that we've committed that we have forgotten. And Allah forgives you for that. Think about the times where you've come up short. You made the intention to ask forgiveness and you didn't. And Allah pardons you for that. Think about the times where you did ask for forgiveness and Allah forgave you. We have to hope from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But most importantly, are we complacent with the fact that we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that forgives us and we don't ask for forgiveness? To where that complacency can lead to negligence and forgetfulness. And this is the importance of what is called dhikr, remembrance of Allah. Not just dhikr of the tongue, which is very important and which is a part of our deen and which is a way of increasing your iman, but just remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's actions upon you, which will encourage you and, 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 and incentivize or increase you in being an individual that calls on him in times of ease and in times of hardship. And the strongest and maybe only way of that is as the Prophet sallallahu told one of the companions, preserve Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will preserve you. Preserving Allah meaning preserve the deen within yourself. Allah does not need us. Just as was mentioned in the when he mentioned in the last in the last page with, with Isa, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the, the, the dialogue with Allah and Isa alayhi salam. But preserving the religion of Allah, i.e., preserving yourself, because the religion is only here to replenish the soul, Allah will preserve you. When you make the effort, Allah will give it to you. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Prophet said, And that's where we conclude. The Prophet said, after that in this hadith, preserve Allah, you will find him in front of you, you will find him there for you. So let's make sure that we don't only call on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the month of Ramadan, although this is what we need to do, but make sure that we in our minds and in our hearts have Ramadan as a catalyst for a new good deed to strengthen that relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we call on him in times of ease and resort to him in times of ease not only in hardship. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of the thankful, may make us of those that recognize his greatness, recognize his beauty, recognize his magnificence, recognize his mercy, and recognize the knowledge that he has given to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and ultimately to all of us. Jazakumullah khair. Salaam alaykum. just a, a beautiful connection. Allah just says, Ya'lamu sirrakum wa jahrakum. 
uh, in the very beginning of, of the surah. He knows your he knows your secrets and he knows what you make public, what you make known. So whether that is the accused and the accuser, or the concealed and the concealer, uh, it it all comes out right. And so Allah is speaking to what He knows is inside of us in this life, and He's speaking to what He knows is inside of His prophets, even Subhanallah, in the next. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh Abdullah. Sheikh Tom, please take us away. Bismillah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu Surah Al-An'am is one of my favorite chapters. Uh, so it was really difficult to just focus in on one particular thing that I liked because it's almost as if throughout the whole chapter, Allah Azza wa Jal is going through different doubts or going through um, different maybe theological malpractice or theological mistakes. And he's addressing them one at a time. But when I was reading through it this past time, one particular passage kind of caught my eye in a way that it hadn't before. And those are the verses 87 to 93 when Allah Azza wa Jal is talking about um, the nature of revelation and the nature of prophethood and the nature of guidance. So just for context, just before this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving like a big list of prophets. He's mentioning all these, these prophets. And as we know, Many of these prophets, the, carrier of the carriers of Tawheed and the carriers of the divine message, many of them were related. Um, but Allah says something very, very interesting in the 88th verse. He says, If they had violated Tawheed or if they had committed idolatry or polytheism, then their actions would have been worthless. It's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is anticipating a mistake that we might make, that we might assume that guidance is hereditary in some sort of way, or that guidance can be just uh, passed down from one generation to the next or in a lineage sort of way. Um, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to know that it's not like that, that if any one of these individuals had committed idolatry or had succumbed to polytheism, then it would have wiped out all the good that they had done. Very, very similar to a different part of the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah when Ibrahim, when he's talking to Allah Azawajal, he says, Qala, wa min He says to Allah, uh, what about my um, descendants? Are they going to be kind of safeguarded like I am? And what was Allah's response? He said, Qala, la Allah Azawajal said that my covenant, it doesn't include the oppressors or those who oppress. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to show us, I think, that every single person has to take a certain degree of responsibility for our own spiritual development, for our own guidance even. It's not an automatic thing that's going to be vouchsafed for you due to your identity or due to who your father was or due to your national origin or where your people come from or what your ancestors did, right? This is something, and this is something that hits home for me, of course, because I'm a convert, um, but it's something that Allah Azawajal reminds us of time and time again in the Quran. There's no shortcut. There's no cheat code, right? When it comes to putting in the work and trying to prepare our hearts and, and make ourselves sincere to receive guidance and follow it. The second point Allah Azawajal makes um, in the following verses 89 and 90 um, is that prophethood, 
is Allah's primary way of communicating with us and guiding us. Allah says, They, the prophets, are the ones that Allah has guided, so follow their guidance. It's as if, and Allah does this, and it absolutely blows me away, it's as if Allah shows us that there's two extremes. So the, the previous extreme was someone who, uh, just like Sheikh Abdullah was saying, maybe complacent, maybe a different type of complacency, where they don't feel the need to purify themselves, they don't feel the need to take a little bit of ownership over their guidance. And now we have kind of the opposite extreme, where Allah Azawajal is almost addressing maybe someone who would take too much responsibility, right? Because sometimes we feel as if we need to be given even personal revelation in order to follow something or in order to affirm something in our lives, right? I'm waiting to be motivated. I'm waiting to be inspired. I'm waiting for this or for that or for that, right? Allah Azawajal, it's as if he's saying here that guidance is found in the prophets, right? We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to take the burden of uh, receiving revelation on ourselves as if we're waiting for some sort of new revelation. And that doesn't mean that you don't address your doubts. Obviously, if somebody has doubts about the Quran or has doubts about the Prophet you need to address those doubts to the point where you can get to the place where you're able to have trust for the message and the content of Allah's guidance. But it's exactly that. It's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that at some point, we have to humbly admit that we might not understand everything right away and that we shouldn't necessarily put off practicing Allah's guidance until we are fully 100% as if we had been given the revelation ourselves. Once we learn to trust Allah Azawajal, and once we learn to trust the Quran, and once we learn to trust the Prophet والسلام, there's a degree of our faith that is about submission and is about following. And the most certain, clear examples that we can follow and we can submit to are those of the prophets. Who do we ask Allah for guidance? Uh, or what's the mechanism by which we ask Allah to guide us in Surah Al-Fatiha every single day? What's that? Right? What is for certain the Sirat Al-Mustaqeem? It's the path that those who have been blessed followed, blessed by Allah with certainty, and that's the prophets. So, and then the final thing, and this gets to um, verse 91, and this is one of my favorite parts of the entire surah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gets into the why somebody might have this doubt or the other doubt. Either they were extreme in their complacency, or they were extreme maybe thinking they needed to take on some burdens that they don't really have to bear. They underestimated Allah. They didn't um, grant Allah due portion or his due right. And specifically, Allah addresses the doubt, those who would say or would even entertain the idea that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't give revelation or didn't send down revelation to a human being. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that this type of belief is rooted in a insufficient appreciation for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
that it is based in a an underestimation of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Allah Azza wa Jal is the most loving. Allah Azza wa Jal is the most merciful. How could he not give us prophets? How could he not give us revelation? How could he leave us to figure it out on our own? Right? So to have these, to harbor these kinds of doubts and to think that I have to figure it out all on my own, or even to think that, you know what, I'm good. I'm a Sayyid or I come from this place or that place and I don't really have to do much, right? We didn't give Allah his due right. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's there for us, he's got us and he's made it easier for us than maybe we even realize. He's given us the Quran and he's preserved it. He's given us the Sunnah and he's enabled us to benefit from it. And every single one of us, once we come to that point of trust, where we're convinced in the categorical sense of the word, that's the time where we have to humbly submit and say, okay, this is what I'm following, and here we go, time to follow. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those who follow and to give us yaqeen in our hearts so that we get to the place where we can trust Allah and believe that Allah is as merciful and benevolent as he tells us he is. Amen. Beautiful insights. Sheikh Abdullah, you got some you, you something that, that that you wanted to say about what was just said or any reflection. I, I have a lot, but I'm like, I'm gonna take another ten minutes if I do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Mashallah. Honestly, I I subhanAllah, I, I think what you just said at the end here, like it would be su alvan, it would be a bad assumption of Allah that he never sent prophets and guidance. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, like they go from uh, organized religion to atheism and then agnosticism, like agnosticism being like a middle point spiritual, not religious, like, yeah, I'm sure there is a God, but he didn't really send anything and, or we just don't know enough about him. What, you know, but at some point, like that, that's just the point of like, I, I, I can no longer deny the existence of God, but what type of God Am I affirming in existence if I'm just saying he just left us to figure it all out? And and honestly, I was there as a teenager, subhanAllah. So as I'm, I'm listening to you and, and Sheikh Abdullah, and, uh, you both embraced Islam at some point in your lives. Uh, I went through that, that, that phase in my own life, subhanAllah. And I couldn't help but think honestly about the parents that are watching this and like, how do I get my kids to appreciate how, how amazing this all is? Right, so that was just the thing that came to my mind as well, and I'd love any any further thoughts, Sheikh Abdullah Imam Tom. You know, as we close it out, inshallah. Imam Tom, talk to us. Me? <laughs> okay, hot take. Um, so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in the Quran, one thing that blows me away is that He often draws our attention to the natural world. Right? Mm -hmm. He says, you know, look at the bee, look at the mountains, look at the earth, look at the trees, look at the fruits, look at every single thing. And so I can speak of my own personal experience. If I'm just shuttling back and forth from man-made structure to man-made structure, to the car, to the pavement, to the climate controlled building, I kind of lose my sense of Allah's calling to me and reasoning with me and appealing to me, right? Because he's using all those things to appeal to us as human beings, saying, look at these, uh, yeah. Right? Look, how, how, can, how can you account for this? Right? And so for myself personally, I take uh, block out my schedule, make sure that I have a way to kind of 
be in the natural world as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created it so that I can appreciate when I come across those parts of the Quran and he's talking about the mountains and he's talking about the flowers and talking about the trees that I actually have an image in my head, not just like a, like a kid's book where it's like, this is a flower and you draw it. No, it's like, I actually have a little bit of, there's meat on the bones, right? Um, as we might say. For me personally, that's um, that's a big thing for me. Beautiful. Abdullah, any final words on your end? Yeah, I mean, mashallah, I really like how you touched upon, a, you, you touched on the aspect of parenthood. Um, to ultimately, ultimately know it's not us that's going to inject the iman in our children's hearts. That's why we have to make dua constantly, constantly for our children. Because it really hit me when, you know, you look at the son of Nuh, alayhi salam, and how he said, that I'm going to go and resort to the mountain. This is a son of a prophet, you know, uh, that didn't listen. You know, but we have Nuh, alayhi salam. We say alayhi salam every time we hear him. You know, it's really Allah SWT has ultimate control. And are we turning to him at all times? Not only when, you know, we find our son or daughter doing something, and then we get calls and, you know, it's here, talk to my son. You know, I used to tell the parents, no, I need to talk to you before I talk to your children. You know, what were they, what were you doing at seven, eight, nine years old? Were you inculcating the deen with, within them and just using these ayat to bring it back to Allah SWT? So we make dua that the parents make dua consistently for, for, their children for all of our young, you know, nephews and nieces, inshallah ta'ala. It's very, very important. Jazakallah khair for that. Latifa. Beautiful session. Uh, Imam Tom, mashallah, your community is lucky to have you. So everyone that's in the masjid over there, please take care of uh, Sheikh Tom, inshallah. You're, you're blessed, mashallah, to, to have him. And we appreciate you and hope, inshallah ta'ala, you can be a regular with us. And looking forward to reading the research that you're working on as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and, and bless your community. Allah, as always, Zakallah khair, my man. Still working on ping pong. Inshallah ta'ala. We'll see, see you at the table, inshallah. Inshallah. Everyone. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.